0: Hey, welcome to New Hope Underground, and we are coming at you in the series of uh, Hope for the Scattered, which is a series through First and Second Peter. I just want to groove out to the music. I really don't. That's all I want to do.
1: Same here. Nice beat.
0: A nice beat, and you can dance to it
1: exactly. Puts me in a good mood,
0: that's right. It does, it should. That's the idea of it, I guess. Hey, I'm Darren, and today is my daughter. She is with me now, anyway. I didn't say that, not grammatically correct, but there you go.
1: But we got the point across, and it's true.
0: (laughs) Bethany Berry is here. I'm here, also on staff here at New Hope, working with junior high kids. Yeah, which means that God has blessed you with patience. (laughs) Kindness, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it gets tested quite often, but you know Jesus is bigger than my own patience and kindness. So, that's oh, good. there's all
0: sorts of testing over the Bible. Yep. Usually, testing comes in the form in 2023, in my opinion. Testing comes in the form of car trouble. Yeah. Children. That's, yeah. yeah. So there you go.
1: I I'll agree with that.
0: In fact, the Greek word for tribulation is automobile loss. <laughs> Anyway, your he, brother, your brother uh, texted me, and his car's down, and his motorcycle's down.
1: Oh, dang.
0: So he's having fun. So he, he understands trial.
1: He's been tested. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, we are here to talk about... I'm, I'm preaching this next Sunday on uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 22. And it is an interesting passage. In fact, this is a passage, I would say... Uh, that a lot of people do not want to preach on.
1: <laughs> I don't understand why. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it, uh, Tyler had it hard last week, him and Lindsay talking about, you know, wives and husbands and masters and slaves and government. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> All that good stuff. So, honestly, I'm glad he had that one and I have this one. But it's still a tough passage.
1: It's tough, just in yeah. a different type of tough. It's yeah, Yeah.
0: It's not tough in the sense of, hey... There's a ton of controversial stuff here that we could argue about, but it's more tough in the sense of uh, trying to decipher what in the world it even means. Yeah, kind of things. Tough that way. And, and there have been a lot of people over the years, I think preachers, who have just skipped this part of First Peter because <laughs> they're not they're not sure. Well, how it's kind of
1: it. it's kind of heady. I feel like yeah. a lot of the letters in the New Testament are like that, where it's it's a little bit. In our context, a little bit more abstract. and yeah. So it's easier to just skim through it because you're like, oh, you These can't read ri- it like you can read Genesis, which is like a cool exactly. story. So.
0: These are written 2,000 years ago from one person to somebody else. And, yeah, you know, you're trying to try to make heads and tails out of some of it. So therefore, what we do is we, you know, spend a lot of time trying to examine the audience, examine the language, examine the context. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things involved in what we call exegesis, exegesis which means that which comes out of the passage or out of the scripture, and so we're, what we're hoping to do is do, you know, we try to do decent job of exegesis anyway when we come to our sermons and the things that we do, so Bethany and I are going to kind of tackle this topic, but well, we love this topic, that's why I asked Bethany to come on because she already has already studied this way before we ever got here, so there you go.
1: Yeah, even yesterday I was doing something separate. I was studying for something else, but it came back to this exact passage. I'm like, everything comes (laughs) back to the same couple things. It just, and I love it. I'm, I'm loving learning all this stuff. So
0: yeah, we both just to just be upfront before we ever get into anything. We're both uh, Michael Heiser fans,
1: huge fans, Uh, the
0: late Michael Heiser, unfortunately, he just passed away this year. But, uh, but he's written a lot of good stuff that really has brought to the forefront, I think, uh interesting views of the scripture on the whole Mm -hmm. that really answer a lot of questions for me. Like the has for questions I've had for years.
1: One thing that he said in like one of his, the most recent interviews is he said that, um, he isn't bringing anything new. He didn't bring anything new. He just connects the dots for people. And I feel like that's what he did with me. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's what that scripture means. Or like, po- or possibly. He's not saying it's for absolute true, like everything he thinks, because we didn't live in that time. But um, like it does, it connects a ton of dots.
0: Well, he did such a good job, too, of like taking these things that are out and known in the scholar's world and bringing yes. it to the common person, you know, because yeah, I think that's the thing is I've I've been reading books uh, since I've been into Michael Heiser. I've been reading scholars and books of writing about Scripture that were written years and years and years before he was even around and saying some of the same things.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But he never really put it together in the way that he put it together. And also it's just interesting too because a lot of the work he has done on the scholar side of things has been post-Dead Sea Scrolls and that makes, I won't get into all that, yeah. that's probably I'm getting on a, on a tangent. But it's
1: an hey, exciting t- It tangent. is.
0: We're going to read the scripture now, and we're going to, we're going to read the whole thing 8 through 22. This is First Peter 3, 8 through 22. Uh, but we're going to read the whole thing, but then we're going to talk about uh, things in like two different sections. And understand this, there may be some repetition. Two things, on it, disclaimer today. One is that this podcast may go a little longer than you're used to. Simply because there's so much information, and we're geeking out on it, we yeah. like to geek out. And then, secondly, um, you may it may be repetitive. You may hear some of the stuff in the sermon. We try not to, but with this, it's more like you're going to hear some of the stuff in the sermon, but more of the abridged version. Uh, you'll hear this. You might when you get a chance to hear this podcast. It'll be after. The sermon. If you haven't heard the sermon, it's this stands alone on its own. That's fine. If you have heard the sermon, it may be a little bit repetitive, but hopefully, you are going to hear things you would not hear. If that makes sense, we mm-hmm. would go more in depth. So here we go. Bethany's going to start reading. I start. We're gonna, we both are reading from the ESV. Go ahead.
1: All right. Uh, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil.
0: Awesome.
1: Mm. Do I end there? Do I keep going?
0: I'll read if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Now 13-22, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be, for some reason, my, uh, I'll tell you what, you read, go, okay. 13, uh, something wrong with my computer. <laughs>
1: if that should be god's will then for doing evil do we keep going yeah okay for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when god's patience waited in the days of noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him.
0: Awesome. Now we're going to take a look at... Um, I was going to divide a 1 through... Um, sorry. 8 through 12, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at 8 through 17 in one section, and then we're going to look at 18 through 22 in the next section. So let's look at eight through 17. So here's how we're going to start out. We're just going to start. Bethany, I just going to ask you flat out okay. for any sort of observations or things that just pique your interest here in verses eight through um, 17.
1: Yeah. My, I was trying to get into the, the mode of like, you know, get into the context. Um, was so when he said, like, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart. So right at the beginning, he's like, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Does that mean that this was going on and he's kindly correcting? Yeah. Or is this like a forewarning, like, don't do that?
0: Yeah. Well, he's, he just got done, if you remember, you know, Tyler's sermon last week about. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. Obeying the government, uh, being submissive to each other, that kind of thing. So he's talking to, definitely he's talking to Christians, you know, spread out around the empire, Jews and Gentiles, I believe. You know yeah that have that are Christians that uh and he's he's reminding them about how to behave in in a world that is hostile towards them mm. and how to behave in a world full of pagans, you know pagan yeah. idolatry and the things that they're so used to, so I think that kind of sets a little bit of the scene,
1: okay, that makes sense. I feel like I should have reviewed a little bit more oh, no, that's the okay. whole context um. Now, I thought this stood out to me. I don't know if it's like a question or anything, but it stood out. So, in verse 13, um, he said, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So, it's almost saying, like, who who can harm you? But, yeah, you're going to get harmed. So, I thought that it just felt a little at odds. Like, I think I kind of know what he means, but it just felt a little at odds to me. What do you think
0: he means? I...
1: In in my, <laughs> I'm trying I to think. Caught her. I caught her. <laughs> you got me off guard. Um,
0: because I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So go with it.
1: I. Who's, sorry, who's I, he,
0: that's okay. He says that, who is there to harm you for zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed.
1: I'm guessing it means more like you can't truly be harmed because. As cheesy as it sounds like, you're protected by God if you're doing the goodness of God. Like, He's going to protect your spirit, you protect go. who you are. Yeah. And then, but even if you should suffer for righteous sake, righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So, you probably will suffer, but it's okay.
0: Well, I always, when I hear this, I think of John the Baptist like right away.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Because here's a guy who did exactly what he was called to do. Who was righteous, mm-hmm. who cried out for the kingdom of God and then was beheaded. Yeah. It didn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. If if this means, you know, that no harm will come to you mean physically, then that's a contradiction. Well and because even God Jesus, allowed that.
1: Yeah, even Jesus was physically and harmed.
0: Which Peter gives him as an example. Yeah. Right. So you can't be harmed in the sense of of you. You are going to be safe with God if you're sticking with God, even if this world harms you. You know, even if you are suffering, if you're any kind of, I don't know, reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, "Blessed are the persecuted." Mm. You know, for the right for righteousness' sake, and so even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're gonna you're going to be blessed. Yeah. God has is the winner in yeah. the end. You know, you, and no matter what happens to you, if you're on His side, then you're going to win.
1: Right, and I, I guess I had to get out of my brain. It's not a battle of flesh, you know. It's a, it's a, bat, it's a spiritual warfare, which he gets into that later. Yeah,
0: but yeah, no, that's good. Okay, so what about any? What else uh, in, in eight through seventeen? 8, he, <clears throat> it reminds me the first eight and nine when we get. It reminds me of stuff from the Gospels. Also reminds me of Paul in Philippians, where he talks about Christians being of one mind. Mm-hmm. But I, I love some of these words, having unity of mind. You know, it's true unity. We think the same way. Sympathy, actually care for each other, like deeply compassionate. I think that the word, uh, I'm not sure if it's tender, heart or sympathy. Let me look it up real quick. But I think the word sympathy, no. Uh, well, brotherly love, you know what that is. That's the word Philadelphia, you know, I oh, mean, yeah. where, where Philadelphia comes from. But uh, have love for each other. And then the tender heart is this... Uh, which is you know coming from the bowels. Mm. like in other words it's the same it's translated in different ways in the New Testament, same Greek word to refer to things like greatly troubled or distressed. So in other words, ah. it's like I feel so deeply for you that I that he's saying I have a tender heart meaning that you would feel deeply troubled when other people are troubled, happy when other people are happy.
1: So not home. not just a, oh, uh, it's just a nice thing to do. It's like a, right. it's not just a thing to do. It's like who you are and like right. Is that yeah what yeah? yeah. Kind do, of,
0: why do you think he's encouraging them to be like this with each other?
1: Probably because their their world around them is not like that at all.
0: Exactly. And how much do they need each other when it comes to the suffering in the world?
1: They definitely need each other. Yeah. yeah.
0: And do not repay evil. And this reminds me of the Gospels: don't repay evil, you know, for evil.
1: Eye for That's an eye, quoting. tooth for a tooth, type yeah. thing.
0: Then he quotes uh, Psalm, I think it's Psalms uh, thirty-four, twelve through sixteen. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, he he pulls this out, and I'm just like, man, this guy knows the scripture because who would I wouldn't pull out Psalm thirty-four? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but uh, what is the overall purpose of the Psalm here? Do you think?
1: Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of reviewing this. No, that's okay. The
0: moment. I think I think over. I mean, if you just kind of go through Psalm 34 and I kind of read through, you know, whoever desires to love life, see, so we, we've already read it. Someone, uh, if you if you have your Bible and you're looking at it right now, it's First uh, Peter three, uh, starting with verse nine, middle of verse nine, or I'm sorry, verse ten, and through twelve. But he quotes, he quotes this kind of long passage out of out of Psalms. Uh, overall, I kind of get the feeling like he's doing it to encourage people you know he's given him some admonitions you know like as far as the government and submission and all thing, and but and the people that are going through and not only that but maybe there's some division among them maybe they're they're just kind of reacting to the world and each other in ways they shouldn't so but this seems like a a, a, a blessing itself like the yeah. psalm but it's it's there's still some admonition in there like you know, keep your lips from speaking deceit, turn from evil, do good, seek peace. Uh, but, but verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but to face of the Lord's against those who do evil. So mm. what's he reminding them of? Encouraging them, but also reminding them of?
1: There will be justice. Yes. In the end. I, I think there, I feel like he probably, probably used it because there's something comforting about knowing that we've been called, God has called us for a long time to stay away from evil and to do good. It's not just them. It's like been everyone for a very long time and that there will be justice in the end.
0: Yeah. yeah and he's, and he's setting up this choosing of sides. Yes. And I, I, I guess that's the way I feel about it anyway, as I'm kind of reading through this, it's like, there's a definite, there's some definite sides in I always hated this idea in the church sometimes. I think we've gotten to a point of where we kind of talk about us and them. Us who are Christians and them who are not, mm. you know? And I don't like the way we talk about that and using that kind of terminology. I really don't. Because there's no difference between someone who's not a believer and someone who is other than Jesus himself. I mean, someone said once, uh, how do they phrase it? The people who don't know Jesus are still children of God they just are not in right relationship with their father.
1: Mm, that's good.
0: And I would love to rather, I'd rather a church look at it that way. You know, because I think that's how Jesus looks at it. Yeah. Like there's no, but but when I say choosing sides, and that's for sure the us and them is non-Christian versus Christian. Mm. As much as righteous first, being righteous versus being wicked. Being you know, gods versus being the devils kind of, kind of separation, choosing sides. So let's look at, yeah, let's go ahead and look at a little bit closer to verse 13 through 17. You had already mentioned something there, but uh, anything else about, about, um, about the harm and stuff? We talked about that. What else do you notice in there? Anything?
1: Um, I honestly, I didn't have a, I'm going to read through it again. I didn't have a ton on this section because all my questions were later <laughs> for the later passage. <laughs> yeah, me
0: too. I know what you mean.
1: Um, I did have one um, in 17 and maybe it's just, I'm not reading it correctly. So it says, for it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will than for doing evil. So is he saying, I'm trying to figure out where this, um, it's better to suffer doing good than to suffer for doing evil. Like, does, is he talking about hell? Is that what that means? Am I jumping way out of context here? I,
0: no, I don't think so. Okay. I think in context, you're talking just what the psalm said. In face of the Lord, he's against those who do evil. So in other words, if I'm doing evil, I've got to deal with the Lord and his mm. judgment. And that's worse than the judgment of the world.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I felt like I read that like five times and I was like, I'm still, for some reason it just wasn't catching on in that moment. So that hey, makes the, sense.
0: I think the one thing I want to point out in this, he says, you know, have no fear uh, if your hearts are on Christ or the sort of soul. And again, this is this, and then, and then he, this is a very famous passage. A lot of people know this without even knowing where exactly where it's at here in Peter. Always be prepared to make a defense mm. to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, there's a lot of legal language here in the Greek, oh. you know, judicial type language. So when you say defense, you know, we think of like, like a lawyer. Yeah, like a lawyer, like yeah. a defense attorney. Always be prepared to make a defense. Uh, and 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 some people have actually said that this in Peter, he's referring to uh, people Christians getting into legal problems because they're Christians. Huh. You know, and so some people are put in a prison. Some people, and I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that. And I'll tell you why. It's because of a couple words here. Uh, one word that comes after the apostrophe after Christ, the Lord is holy, says always being prepared to make a defense. Well, you're not always. Why would you? Why would you use the word always if it's only in certain situations? You're he's talking in, about. You're
1: not always in court.
0: Always be prepared. Yeah. To anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, um, and and I don't know. It just seems to me that there's a. For anyone who asks you, you know, that that sounds like, again, always anyone who asks you. See what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. I don't, I mean, even just reading this in English, not knowing Greek myself, but I'm not seeing any other type of like legal language. It doesn't make sense to me to put it in that context. I mean, I can see where they get that, I guess, but.
0: I think, well, see, here's the thing. We use legal language all the time in English in normal conversation. Oh, for sure. You know, even defense. In my Mm -hmm. defense, I'm like, you know, well, it's not, that can be a legal term, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. You know, I think that's the way it is. I think Peter, I think Peter, some people have pointed that out and I think it's interesting, but, uh, but at the same time, I'm not so sure. I think it's more like if you're living in the Lord, you know, you're walking with him. Uh, you have, you, you belong to him. Then you should always have a, be ready to tell someone for the reason of the hope that is in you which means Jesus, mm. the reason why I follow Jesus. But he says, do it with gentleness and respect, though. Don't just get in people's face. I remember one time my brother was talking about, he went on a mission trip overseas, and they were going into um, Indonesia. And it's a rough area, and a lot of people aren't Christian at all. And They had soldiers, just kind of a random soldiers around with machine guns, and they weren't necessarily even government people. They were just... Regional people, oh and they're kind of you know scary. You got to be careful. And you're a Christian. They're most of them are Muslim. So the interesting thing about it is, he said somebody in their group was like going up to them and saying stuff and preaching in these guys' face and things like asking for trouble, basically. The exact like, opposite you know, we, of this. Yeah, and he kept yelling like, "We need to be ready to die for Christ." And my brother was like, "Hey, I die. I'll die for Christ if I need to, but I'm not gonna go looking for it." Yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't think that's what Jesus calls us yeah. to do.
0: It's not it's not like it's not like holy suicide.
1: Yeah. no. Uh, no. Be yeah. he gives us wisdom for a reason. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So it says having a good conscience. Now that word conscience is used again later. Mm. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about that. Mm. So that when you are slandered, those who revalue your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So what is he what is he saying? He's saying that if you if you're living for the Lord and you're just trying to live a gentle life, respectful life, you care for people. And even you know, use your mouth. Don't be afraid of proclaiming him. Mm-hmm. Have a reason for what for why you follow mm-hmm. him. Uh, and if you do these things, um, even if you, even if uh, uh, even if you uh, are put to suffering of some sort, people make fun of you or or whatever, or even physical uh, punishment. In the end, they're going to be put to shame.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Someone asked me once, You think that was hard for him to say? And I'm like, Yeah. But then they said, No, not really. So what do you mean? <laughs> well, it's because it wasn't in him. You know, to say, What would he say? Damn them all to hell? No, yeah. of course not. You know, so it wasn't in him. It, what was in him is to say, Forgive them. Mm-hmm. But you and I are the opposites. So, you know, so we. It's like people that would mock us or treat us wrong or we would go through suffering because of them. We want to we want to we avenge want to, ourselves. Yeah,
1: we want know. to serve justice our own way. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So we're going to keep this kind of uh, choosing sides thing in mind as we get into verses 18 to 22. This is the tough, these are the tough verses. <laughs> this is why Bethany is sitting here, though. So go crazy. Oh, let's comment on 18 through
1: 22. Oh, gosh. Where do I even start? Okay. Um, I'm reviewing my notes here. And it's some of it's hard because like I, because I've been reading this so much and like things are coming back well, to this so much. Like <laughs> I tell you what, I'll
0: bring up some questions. There we go. And we'll go from there. There we go. That, that w- might help me. a little bit. That helps me out. It says in verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, right away, he's comparing, you know, this suffering that you, you do. Think about Jesus, the ultimate example, which is like Paul in Philippians when he says, be united and everything. Mm-hmm. And consider Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became obedient to death and so forth, humble. You should also live your life like that. So, if that I means, I mean, think of the suffering he went through. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in some manuscripts, not the oldest ones, the word suffered there is died, not suffered. So Christ died once for sins, which sounds a lot like Paul, and I think it lost, it got lost somewhere. The older transcripts that we have, or manuscripts that we have, actually say "suffered."
1: I feel like "suffered" makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, why? With, well, with they were just saying, but even if he or Peter was just saying, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, like it just yeah. it in context, it makes a little bit more sense. Right, to me. And,
0: and nowhere does Peter talk about the people he's talking to uh, in in. He doesn't say anything about people dying Mm-mm. for the sake of their faith, but he is talking about suffering. So it makes sense that he would say, so for Christ suffered once for sins, for the righteous and the unrighteous, bring us to God. And he also says in the flesh, uh, being put to death in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't use the word body, soma, in the Greek is soma, body. He doesn't use that. He, was, he uses the word sarks or sark, which is, which is flesh, which is almost intentional. That's the same word Paul would use when we talk about flesh versus the spirit. Okay. So being put to death in the flesh, not that it's sinful, but put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. In comparison for for us, that for us to follow Jesus, we got to that flesh. Our flesh needs to be put to death. Mm. So we might be alive in the spirit, which is real similar, like Romans eight, for instance, Romans seven, Romans eight. So so that sets us up because verse 19 turns on a dime, it seems like. Because then all of a yes. sudden he says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they firmly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, now as removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I felt like we need to read that again.
1: Yes.
0: So we get into this in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. This is where I it gets tricky because no one knows who these spirits are, what the prison is, and and, and did Jesus go to hell here? What, what are we talking
1: yeah, about? I, yeah, I had a question on that. I've even had some junior high kids ask me about this, but like, is that where we get the old church tradition of Jesus died on the cross and he went to hell for three days? I've heard that before. And someone told me it was in the Bible, and I'm like, I never read that. Yes, I've never read that. But I'm I'm assuming, which assuming is not great, but I'm assuming that's this is the passage you're talking about.
0: Well, it's interesting because I think so. That's part of it. I think part of it is some revelation, but uh, of where they kind of get that idea. But what's interesting here is uh, is that the word hell is not used.
1: It says prison.
0: Prison, well, that's not hell. Uh, in fact, this is the Greek word phylake, which is which is not hell. It just means prison. That's all it means. Like
1: it doesn't mean sheol or anything like that.
0: Someone said that it's uh, they liken it to sheol, the grave, but
1: which is just like
0: the Greek word is not she is not anything huh. like hell. It's just prison. as in like a prison of humans could go to. Prison. Okay. Now, now here's what's interesting. When you get to Second Peter let's go to second Peter real quick uh, chapter 2 then he talks he talks about this again and also in Jude but he says in verse 4 for if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell or prison and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment so that same the same concept in Second Peter is there, and the, if you read the rest of Second Peter context, you're going to find it's the same thing he's talking about in First Peter three, but he uses a different word. He uses the word Tartarus
1: mm-hmm.
0: in Second Peter, which is a which is a Greek. <laughs> actually, the Greeks talked a lot about Tartarus as a prison that was known as hell or the the actual holding place of the Titans of old age. Huh. Uh, and so, when you get into Jude. Also, it's tied into that as well. Talking about these angels, these angels in this prison for angels. This is what Peter is talking about. But he only uses, in First Peter 3, he only uses the word prison. Proclaim to the spirits in prison. So, what is this prison? Who are the spirits? That's kind of a question. right?
1: Yeah. It also just seems a little out there. Like... It doesn't <laughs> seem to if, unless, well, again, I've been doing some research on my own, so I it makes sense to me, but if if you're just reading it at face value, it doesn't really make much sense, in my opinion.
0: No, it doesn't. i tell you what, let's do, let's, uh, how about this? I, I'm going to give several ideas of who these spirits could be. And this this is several scholars, I've kind of, I've read several different books, like you put together an idea of what some of those, you know, what people have speculated as to who these spirits are. And a lot of people have taught this for years. I've heard it for years. And then we're gonna talk about what I really, what we really think it is. Mm-hmm. First of all, spirits in prison, are they, now it relates it to Noah, because he says mm-hmm. that uh, the spirits that he goes to talk to uh, in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So he's talking about a very specific group. Yes. And a lot of people would say that the spirits are, are, are people. The people that did not listen to Noah's preaching.
1: So, so that, the people that died in the flood. The
0: people that died in the flood. Okay. The people that were wiped out in the flood. That the, that Jesus went and spoke to these spirits in prison, which we assume, you know, we can't naturally assume just by reading this, but we assume that it's during these days that he was dead on the cross and then rose from the dead in between. Mm-hmm. That he would go to these spirits in prison, and these were the people that died during the flood. And he was proclaiming or preaching. Some would say that that proclaiming is preaching of the gospel, but that word Caruso does not necessarily always go with that, but it does a lot, proclaiming the gospel. It just means to announce something, to announce. So, So, But basically, one idea is that the spirits in prison are souls who died in the flood, you know, people. Uh, and then,
1: can I ask a question yeah, on that? Yeah. Is it just the people that died in the flood or do they believe all the, uh, all the wicked people up until that, up until the point of Jesus death?
0: I think there's probably both ideas out there. That's okay. for sure. But it does seem odd that why would Jesus pick out just certain people he's going to go preach to? And why are these certain people in a prison? there seem to be some inconsistencies with that, that idea. Yeah. And not only that, but what, what is he proclaiming? Is he proclaiming the gospel to them? And if he's proclaiming the gospel to them, does that mean that these certain people who bat, died during the flood, that they get a second chance at salvation?
1: Mm. Yeah, that doesn't that it doesn't odd. line up with, I feel like, how he preaches right. the good news. Like it doesn't.
0: But there are a lot of preachers and pe- teachers who teach this way because they, they think that's who we're talking about here.
1: And that but, doesn't make sense to me, but not bashing that idea, but no, it just doesn't it, line up with I think my kind right. of thinking.
0: I think you're right because what do we find in Second Peter? It says the angels mm-hmm. in prison. So it says spirits in prison here. He says angels in prison. Jude, we find angels. Okay. So maybe we're not talking about the spirits of people at all. And here's another interesting clue. The word spirits in this particular case is the word you're familiar with, pneuma. You know, with Numa means breath of God. We talk about the Holy Spirit, but the word Numa in you in talking about spirits, okay, almost consistently in the Bible is referring to angels and demons.
1: So specifically non-human, right? Heavenly or not heavenly, but otherworldly beings, exactly right? non-human. Okay,
0: there are other words that are used a lot for human spirits
1: that's what i i I wondered that i did a little bit of research because i thought that there was like a different word for ghost or like the spirit of samuel when he comes in with the uh, witch of endor when he comes back up yeah or, like i think yeah, exactly. that word's probably different than this word for spirit
0: exactly yeah. just it would be i think one time maybe is referring to a human spirit most almost every single time it's you know so contextually you would think he's not talking about humans and when you think of Second Peter and Jude, how can you overlook angels? So what does he mean yeah. by, what, is it, what angels, you know? Yeah. So this is, brings us to another idea. What do you think the angels, who do you think the angels are?
1: Do you want me to say? Yeah. yeah. I think that they're. Bethany's,
0: don't let Bethany fool you. She's done a <laughs> ton of study on this. It's
1: been the past three years of my life.
0: <laughs> I know. So <laughs> I go, just go actually crazy.
1: taught about this today in a meeting, but. I think it's referring to Genesis six and the the sons of God that fell. So the heavenly beings that God created that rebelled right before the the time of Noah, in the time of Noah that actually they, they decided that the women were hot and they wanted to have kids with them. Sorry. I'm I'm used to talking to junior high kids and, (laughs) but they rebelled because they wanted to, to rule and, um, I think that, and they are the cause of the flood because they caused people to get so far away from God and they like kind of destroyed the earth. And um, yeah, it, it makes sense. And especially in Second Peter and Jude, like I feel like those are even more clear, like that's referring to Genesis 6.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's read Genesis 6 real quick. 1 through 4, when man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives as they, as they chose, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days are like shall be a 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so um, you think it's referring to this event? I do. Or these people, or these spirits, which the, are deities that have that basically rebelled against God and, and uh, mixed, if you will, with human women.
1: Yeah, so the sons of God... And possibly the Nephilim, which the Nephilim were. their they're hybrid children, right? Yes. That sounds so surreal, but it makes a lot of sense to me. But
0: yeah, and I think that's what's interesting about this is that we talk about the these fallen sons of God from Genesis six two. Um, there is a what we call Second Temple literature type book that was written somewhere. In the uh, third century, second to third century BC, um, which would be in between the Old Testament and the New Testament times, mm. called the Book of Enoch, and uh, it is not an inspired book. You know, it's not part in our Bible, but it is a book that was very well known yeah. uh, by a lot of people in the Bible. They've read it, they make comments on it, and you cannot help but you know that Peter and Jude especially are using the book of Enoch and its story to get a, a point across. Oh yes. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if I was to, if, if someone in the Bible was to, <laughs> let's put it this way. If I was to use, uh, and I have used many times, uh, the lion, the witch, and the wood by C.S. Lewis and the stone table and Aslan given his life up. And then the defeats, the white witch. That's all an allegory. Mm-hmm. It's all we call it typology of some sort, you know, like that is making some sort of case for Jesus. long is Jesus. C. S. Lewis doesn't make any bones about, you know. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is like we wouldn't necessarily see that as scripture itself, but it points to scripture.
1: Yeah. It's like a good parallel or yeah, sorry. (laughs) Good.
0: Yeah, so, so that's what Enoch, this book of Enoch is doing. And the only reason I I bring that up is because he calls, in the book of Enoch, he calls these particular beings, in Genesis 6, the watchers. Mm-hmm. So if you hear the term watchers, that's where it's coming from, is in referring to these particular beings. And then when they had basically sex with the women and then had offspring, uh, these were what were known as the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. So watchers equal sons of God. And then you got... Offspring is the Nephilim Nephilim. I say it different every time.
0: <laughs> so read through the rest of this, Beth, and we read through the rest of this, Bethany. Uh uh what's whats is it is it, let's, let's let's just say that these aren't people then. Uh the, some say that these are actually um the disembodied um Nephilim spirits, which which honestly we can make the case that's where we get demons. <laughs> yeah. Uh but but it seems like these ones in prison are really the Watchers, the originals.
1: Yeah, because I think the Nephilim they they roamed the earth longer than the Watchers did, if yeah, if I remember correctly. Like like Goliath was down the line of a Nephilim, where I think the Watchers died off because God told them they I can't remember what scripture it is, but they will die like men. Psalm eighty two. Psalm eighty two. Okay, mm-hmm. so I know I have that written somewhere. Um, that they'll die like men. And so I know that they died off earlier on, I believe
0: so these these are the spirits that are in prison, the ones that were originally rebelled, yeah you know, against God. And people say, well, where's the devil in that? well, he's he's definitely one that has rebelled. I mean, we assume he's the one uh, he is the Satan you know the, yeah. that we call Satan anyway, uh, but the adversary that's in Genesis, you know mm-hmm. obviously. so we know he's a part of that, but he's not he's not a part of these watchers. Uh, originally necessarily we don't We don't think right there's it's hard to tell
1: well i know with high he- like dr heiser he's talked about there's really three major rebellions that happen. so you get yeah, the, yeah. the first one of satan and the second one of the watchers that produced the nephilim and then you got a third one later in tower of babel which we don't have to get into right now if you don't want oh
0: my to. that's so good though <laughs> such good stuff well it, let's look at the rest of this passage though he proclaims these spirits in prison let's assume that these spirits are evil spirits then for lack of, a, you know, mm-hmm. instead of getting to, we, we went into a lot deeper than what you're going to get uh, in other things. But anyway, because they firmly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, this is really interesting. Let's talk about the Who are the eight persons?
1: Being Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wa- their wives, right?
0: Right. And they were brought safely through water. What does that mean?
1: Well, the flood. Yeah, and they had an ark, and they lived through it all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, <clears throat> here's here's the other interesting thing about Enoch that I found anyway is that you can probably you know make comments on this too. Is that we we talk about typology? It's a foreshadowing of that which is real, you know. Mm. And and also kind of almost like an allegory, if you will. Now, in the book of Enoch, and maybe you can read some of this. I think you had a passage in Enoch, but it kind of describes Enoch. Now, Enoch in the the Old Testament was a man that said that he just, God took him from the Mm -hmm. face of the earth. He was a righteous man. This is before Noah, Mm -hmm. during the time of the Watchers, right? Right, yeah. It's possible he interacted and even preached of the, in the truth of god mm-hmm. and then god took him alive he never died like like elijah mm-hmm. and then the story of the in the book of Enoch is about how he uh was was summoned if you will by these spirits that are in prison mm-hmm. because they were asking him to go back to god right
1: yeah to kind of come to their defense i'll let them. you read yeah.
0: maybe read some of that we're going to read directly from the book of Enoch uh, yeah. So, and, and you can you can look this up. Just uh, it's it's a book. You can just Google it and go book of Enoch P- free PDF, and you can read from it.
1: So this is so this is after after they the the Watchers have already told him like, hey, go talk to God, and then he does, I guess, and then God tells him this, and he's repeating it to the Watchers. And this has a lot of these and thou. So I'm going to do my best to put it in modern day language. So then Enoch passing on said to Azazel, which was one of the watchers, you shall not obtain peace. A great sentence is gone forth against you and he, as in God, shall bind you. Neither shall relief, mercy, and supplication be yours on account of the oppression, which you have taught and on on account of every act of blasphemy, tyranny and sin which you have discovered to the children of men. So he's saying that you're bound. Is this what you're talking about? Like you're this is what this is what Peter is quoting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're bound in prison because of what they did to men. They thwarted yes. God's creation and they taught the watchers are known. Enoch talks about the watchers are known. They're the ones that taught us sorcery. They're the ones yes. that taught us evil things and even how to make weapons
0: which in a in a fascinating way corresponds to ancient greek and babylonian stories
1: yes go they well they have accounts of i was just talking about this today like there are extra biblical accounts of giants yes which would be the spawn of them yeah um this sounds crazy but in Enoch, it even mentions one that's about forty thousand feet tall, like oh, wow. which is insane. And you yeah. got some conspiracy people that are like, "Well, they're the ones that built the pyramids." Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, but that could also yeah. just be saying they're just huge. They're just maybe they're not literally forty thousand feet tall, but they're they're huge. But yeah, Enoch talks a lot about
0: but these. But these I giants guess. were the were the result of these deities. Yes. Rebelling against God. I say deities, but they're not God.
1: They're not God. (laughs) But they're not us. With some people, when I try to describe it, it's kind of like in that Greek mythology, that Roman mythology. It's almost like demigods in a way, but they don't even kind of compare. God created them. He's the most high
0: God, the only God. Yes. He created them. Yeah. But they had choice, and they they had a choice, and they rebelled.
1: Exactly. And they... Never mind. I was like, I could go way off subject here, <laughs> but
0: no. This is why we do the podcast because we true. can we get to uh, go off on tangents. Yeah, and well, it's way long, and it's okay because, and I hope you guys are enjoying this because this is really good stuff. So we keep going.
1: Well, I was just say I I think one question is like, well, why did God create these beings if they're going to thwart all of creation? And I um, I think it was probably Heiser something somebody I read, but talking about how God like he talks about being a father and his sons, the sons of God. They use that language a lot because God wanted a family. He wanted to Mm -hmm. live and rule with a family. And so I think that the, the sons of God or the watchers, like the heavenly beings, he created them because he wanted to rule heaven with people, like with beings. And then same with earth. Like he created humans to help him rule earth but. yeah
0: heavenly be heavenly family and an earthly family and, then and he eden, wanted us all to be together
1: and that's eden that's what yeah, eden, that's was, eden was was the yeah. two coming together and yeah. then
0: and eventually eden. heaven and earth will come back together again yep and it's why we find eden in revelation 22 however these guys thwarted the whole mission because they got jealous yep. in a lot of ways they did they try to ruin mankind
1: yeah that's that is they have their whole mankind. goal yeah and if you believe that they're demons that's still their whole goal Yeah. Like if you believe that's where demons came from, like that is what they're still trying to do.
0: Exactly. Hasn't changed.
1: No. So it is a big deal. And I feel like if, yeah, I think Peter, there's a reason why he's addressing it in that. Like in
0: the book of Enoch, Enoch then is sent down. He talks to these demons. He goes to God on their behalf to say, if there's any sort of way we can get out of this punishment Mm-hmm. And then he goes back and delivers a message that God gives him, which is, um, no,
1: he goes in and <laughs> proclaims to them yeah. that no, God proclaims, still has announces. He announces them. that. And my, my wording, like God has dominion. Like God is con- having control over that.
0: No, that's so good. So what, in this the story of Noah, eight persons brought safely through water.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Think of Enoch's
0: story. No, no, go ahead.
1: I said through God's judgment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Safely through his judgment. Yeah. Through
0: Someone I was reading, someone I was reading, uh, I think it was uh, J.N.D. Kelly, was talking about the difference of, of course, oh, there it is, the difference of senses of the word through, which is a simple Greek word. Mm. It could mean instrumental sense, meaning that, They were preserved by the waters. And in some ways that's true. And then a local sense that they were brought safely by passing through the water. They were preserved by the waters in the sense that it drowned all the evil Mm, hence the judgment of God. And in the local sense, they were brought safely passing through the water because they floated on top of the water. The water became their salvation for those who were living and the damnation for those who who died. Think about this, the Red Sea. Oh. The crossing of the Red Sea. They
1: passed through the water.
0: They passed through the water on dry land, but then what happened? When the evil guys came, the water drowned them all. God saved them in two ways. The water saved in two ways.
1: Oh, that's so cool.
0: And so when you think of that, that's exactly what he's saying. He's like, through eight persons brought safely through the water. down. think about this. <laughs> I, I, this is mind blowing to me. Noah and his family saved by a piece of wood.
1: What the? I've never, I've never made that parallel before.
0: through the judgment.
1: Ah, Jesus
0: and the cross, and this is what Peter is doing. He's bringing, he's bringing the Noah's story together. Uh, even with the red sea i think without even intending necessarily he's bringing to jesus he's bringing the enoch story to jesus jesus is now enoch in his story that people would know it's mm-hmm. just it's like i said lying, the witch in the wardrobe people would know the story yeah and so he's saying he's the jesus when he died he went to the prison and he announced to them like enoch did that you're staying here mm And what do you think he's referring to? I think what he's referring to is that I think they and their buddies always thought if they could kill the son, Jesus, that they would be victorious. But when he was killed and he comes and visits them to let them know that your plan backfired and you're still doomed.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: You know, so, and then it says baptism. Which corresponds to this now saves you, not a removal from dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven. Here's, here we go, right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. He's talking about the ultimate victory in the resurrection of Christ. Now, interesting enough, early baptismals uh, were octagon-shaped because of this verse.
1: Which has eight, eight sides. sides. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: I just read that. That's it's really, really cool. interesting. And not only that, but early baptismal services, uh, some of the formula, meaning the things that they would have you say when you're baptized, a lot of the early ones going all the way back to the second century uh, were included words like, Now I renounce the devil, now mm. I'm done with him and his kingdom. Now, I refuse to live for his kingdom and his domain. I now belong to Jesus. You see, this word pledge or appeal is a pledge to God for a good conscience. He says baptism is not this removal of dirt from your your body, not just getting clean. It's not a purity ritual. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Baptism is spiritual warfare because what you're actually saying is that I'm choosing a side. That one thing is really interesting about the word conscience here, is you go back to the you go back to the Greek and how the Greek is used so many often. It's more that maybe a better way of translating it is conscientiousness, and what that means is that I am deciding, as a pledge to God, I am choosing my side, I am choosing my loyalty.
1: Mm, that's good.
0: I'm going to be conscientious, looking at myself and my heart and my actions, and deciding to belong to.
1: I love that. So, yes.
0: so think about this. This is what's so cool. Enoch, then and I'm getting carried away, but you didn't know all this. But
1: I get carried away as <laughs> well. It's <an> exciting thing.
0: <laughs> but what I think is so cool about all this is that Enoch, then, if you think of this whole typology of Enoch, Jesus becomes Enoch. He goes and proclaims to the spirits in prison mm-hmm. to let them know that they are still doomed for eternity. And that He raises to life in victory. What do you think baptism means for you and me?
1: That we're free from from the evil, right? From from the demonic world, I guess. Sorry, no, no, no exactly. <laughs> it takes me a minute to
0: process. But what did Paul say? He said that you you die, right? Yeah. It's death. It's death and burial resurrection. That's why we do the baptism way we do. It's You're dying underwater. You come up and rise up a new, new life. And we've talked about that terminology for so long, but what Peter is saying is there's more to it than that. It's not just the fact that you're dying. It's the fact that when you go into the pit, into the grave, you are looking the demons in the eye, the watchers in the eye, mm. and saying, you're staying here. You are. You have the opportunity to proclaim just like Jesus did because of what Jesus did. Oh, uh, yeah. Because of the resurrection. I no longer live for you. I'm choosing sides. And that's why it's spiritual warfare. When you come up out of that water, you now belong to him.
1: I love, I promise this is on topic, but as I was reading through this this past week, like I was just thinking about, how, when we rebelled or Mm -hmm. when, when Satan came and when we chose him, we brought death into the world. Mm -hmm. That is not something that was, that God had intended for us. Um, so death, we equate death with evil a lot of times because that's what brought it in. Um, and then here Jesus is, he had, he, he died, um, to take back death Mm. to, truly mm. triumph. I feel like that's the mm. final triumph over yeah. what what Satan and what we brought into the world. And then baptism, like you said, is us again dying, taking over that death. And it's to me it's cool because it's not just choosing Jesus, which of course is like the most amazing thing in the world you could do, but it's also actively choosing against that yes. death, yes. actively choosing against yes. evil. And I feel like that's part of that spiritual warfare. It's not in that conscientiousness that you said. It's it's not, it is choosing Jesus, yes, but actively choosing against what is not him.
0: I, um, I'm choosing his side. I'm, I'm going to be loyal yeah. to him. And In a sense, he uses this really powerful prepositional phrase, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's a pledge to God out of conscientiousness, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the only way that baptism can mean anything, the only way that I can, the you know, the whole idea of what it means can have full meaning with me being able to proclaim to the spirits in prison myself, is through the resurrection of Christ.
1: Mm.
0: So salvation is in the resurrection of Christ,
1: not the act of baptism right. itself.
0: Yeah. In, in this in this passage, you know, as yeah. we're looking through this passage. It's not like, he's not saying. In fact, he says it's not a removal of dirt from the body. It's not like you're just going through this purity thing. And so, uh, it, but but think of just. I think sometimes we lose the beauty of baptism because we don't understand this full symbolism, and under you know that it it is a picture of conversion. And I'm not saying everybody's converted when they're baptized. Yeah. I'm not saying no one's converted if you're not. Uh, what I'm saying is it's a picture of conversion.
1: Mm-hmm
0: which is I'm choosing sides. It's a, it's a picture of spiritual warfare. So good stuff.
1: So cool. I could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this. I stuff. know you
0: could. We've already gone an hour. Yeah. Gosh, I even, <laughs> this is the I even longest, like held back. This is the longest sermon thing I think we've ever done. And well, I here's appreciate the thing, you guys bearing with us. Yeah, Go and ahead. here's
1: the thing about podcasts, because I'm a big podcast listener. You can control when you pause it. Exactly. And then you can come back and listen to it. I listen, so many episodes of things I listen to are about two hours long. But I just pause it and then come back to it later. And yeah. it's nice because that means it lasts even longer.
0: That is so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to mention before we close is that if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, which is not my text, but uh, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh that ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This is where he's going.
1: Mm.
0: You know, we're going to get into that even more specifics, okay. but this is where he's going. You know, you're know, you going through suffering, you're going through problems, you're going through pain, but you don't even... Un- do you understand what he saved you from? And do and you understand that if you choose the right side, that, uh, that no longer will, will sin be your master? No longer will the devil be your master. No longer will you face judgment.
1: Yeah. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good. Exactly.
0: That's a great way to end it. Hey, Bethany, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for letting me come on. This was fun. My favorite topic. So I'm all about it.
0: I tell you what, if you guys comment enough on this, or at least let us, Bethany and I know that you like this subject, maybe we can do some more. Oh, I'd be all for it. On this, because we've got, we've got a lot more than this. I think and, the
1: uh, I think the youth staff is tired of me talking about <laughs> it. So this will give me another outlet. And my poor husband, he's he's heard way too much. So I need well, another outlet.
0: I tell you what, I think the thing that this kind of worldview or understanding of Genesis six in particular has done for me anyway is made so much more sense out of the old testament.
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely.
0: Even the New Testament, but even but more so the Old Testament for me.
1: Well, so, even that Joshua's conquest. Like oh, yeah. Why did God announce that? See, we could do a people, whole series yeah. just on that. Yep.
0: That'd be so good. We should sometime. Uh, but we'll wait to see if you guys even like this. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, I hate this. Let's be done. What are you talking about? That? <laughs> Those Hansons
0: talk all the time. Talk, talk,
1: talk, talk, talk. Hey, at least I'm not talking about Bigfoot right now. That's my other big thing right now.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy that, too but uh, anyway hey thanks for joining us and hopefully you're staying up with the reading in 1st Peter and we'll be continuing our series and you'll get a little bit more of this in 2nd Peter when we get to guess who's got that sermon and eh, it's me the <laughs> one, one with I, I said just give me both of those because they're related but anyway thank you for joining us we'll see you later <laughs>